Matthew chapter 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. As we get started, I want to ask, uh, what is your life's foundation? Certainly in this time, if just the pandemic is not getting you to ask this sort of big life question, I don't know what in life will. I appreciate Margaret Went. She's a Globe and Mail op-ed uh, columnist, and just her headline says it all in this past, one of her opinion pieces this past week. We thought we were in control of our lives, the virus has shattered all of that. It certainly has. And I appreciate that uh, there's another human being that is able to just call it what it is. We've lost control of our lives. And so when I ask the question, what is your life's foundation? One way to speak of that is, what is it that when you lose a sense of control in your life, that it brings a certain chaos, it messes with your emotions, your peace, your anxiety, your emotional stability, what do you build your life upon? What, if taken away, uh, brings insecurity in your life in the midst of chaos? For some of us, certainly, COVID-19 is testing our finances as a foundation for life. Um, we have uh, heavily affected markets, and COVID-19 is certainly testing whether or not we're building our lives on our finances. Uh, even this past week, around 500,000 people in Canada applying for EI. Um, and, and so it just shows just how much uh, this pandemic is rocking our finances and now it tests whether this is a foundation for our life or not. Uh, perhaps you're looking to our country's systems and our healthcare, our leaders, as a foundation for life. And certainly COVID-19 is testing uh, that system as a foundation. 
Uh, we're trying to flatten the curve together as a, a country and really as the world because we don't want to overwhelm our systems. And if they become overwhelmed, and let's say you become sick, where will that leave you in terms of your state of life? Will you feel like the foundations of your life are crumbling? Perhaps you're looking to the people in your life as a foundation. You're building your life upon the love of people. Or, or perhaps um, you're realizing at, during this pandemic, all of us being holed up in our homes. Perhaps you're single and alone, or perhaps you're with people, and it's testing our social health, isn't it? Uh, if we're holed up with people, it's certainly just being with those people 24-7. It's going to test the, just the strength and the quality of those relationships. And if we're living alone, perhaps usually we enjoy being alone, but all the more it, it, we're going to be tested. Do we need people in our lives? And so certainly our, the foundation of our life is being shaken up during this time. So I appreciate what Margaret Wentz says in her uh, opinion piece our world has changed utterly in a week. Last week, COVID-19 was something that happened to other people somewhere far away. And I'll be honest, I had that attitude. Last week, we could meet our friends for a cup of coffee, arrange playdates for our children, go out for a meal, see our moms in the assisted living home. This week, we're wondering how some of our friends and family will get by. Their livelihoods are vanishing. Their old age income is drying up. We are living in suspended animation where the pleasures and routines and structures of ordinary life have been ripped from us. And nobody knows what will happen next. The future has become a black box. Now, Jesus Christ and his gospel message, the gospel is basically just the name we give for Jesus's message and it also asks us, it also asks us how we define life. And Jesus and his gospel really just give us two possibilities. One is to define life here and now on this earth, this temporary life, because all of us are going to pass away someday. And so life, if life is just here on earth, I don't blame you. Sincerely, compassionately, I don't blame you if you're feeling anxiety because your investments have just crashed or you are wondering if your loved ones are gonna be around. And just whatever you have built your life upon, if all you see as life is this earth, this temporary life, then I don't blame you for being anxious. But Jesus, he definitively defines life beyond this life. And he says clearly, one of the strongest points of his message is that there is life beyond this life. There is eternal life and eternal judgment. We can either spend life eternally in God's love, in his new creation, and doing life as he always meant to be on a renewed earth, or we will be forever separated from God and doing life uh, under his wrath and punishment for eternity. Now, you think perhaps that you and I, we weren't prepared properly for COVID-19. Jesus definitively is saying that there is something beyond COVID-19, that there's an eternal life that we must prepare for. Metaphorically speaking, Jesus is telling us through his gospel message that there is a spiritual virus even more potent, even more deadly than the corona family of viruses combined. And so Jesus, in his own words from Mark's gospel, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? 
There's something even beyond this life, beyond this pandemic that we need to be prepared for. In my own words, who cares if we get through this tunnel of this pandemic safely? I'm not saying this coldly or insensitively and trying to diminish some of the pain and suffering that we are going through. Just even in our own congregation, there are people who are suffering because of the fallout of the pandemic. And, and, and I'm not trying to diminish any of that. But if we get through to the other side, through the tunnel of this pandemic safely, live more years on this earth, but then find our souls forfeited for eternity under the wrath of God because of the uncured spiritual virus of sin, what's the point of just getting through the pandemic? And so I hope you'll be able to pray with me um, that by uh, the time we get through Jesus' teaching here, by the end of this sermon, I hope you'll be able to pray with me uh, words similar to this. Lord, help me to build my life upon Jesus Christ and his grace as my foundation, period. Okay? What I want to draw out from uh, this teaching as Jesus wraps up his Sermon on the Mount then is uh, three faulty foundations. I think Jesus identifies three faulty foundations. First, the faulty foundation of false influencers. Second, the faulty foundation of false security. And then third, the faulty foundation of false religion. All right, so let's get into the text. First, what faulty foundations does Jesus identify? First, a faulty foundation of false influencers. So who are these false influencers that, that I'm referring to and I think Jesus points to? Let's look at verse 15 of Matthew 7, and he says, Beware of false prophets. So what does that word mean, prophet? Now, it can sound all super biblical and so forth, but basically it just means someone who is authoritatively speaking truth. And so there are prophets everywhere, and there have been prophets through all of time. It's not just some religious, spiritual person, some, some sage on some mountaintop, but there are cultural prophets, there are financial prophets, there are uh, political prophets, there are health prophets, basically anyone who is speaking authoritatively with some truth. And we are willing to give them uh, our ear and take their advice and to try to gain some direction for life and to walk on a certain path. And so Jesus here, now he had certainly a specific, specific type of false prophet in mind, but to apply that to our lives today, it's, that's why I'm saying beware of false influencers. We have influencers. We all have so many people that we are looking to culturally, politically, uh, health-wise, and financially, and we can go on and on. We have lots of prophets in our lives. You might not call it that, but we have lots of people who are influencing us, and we listen to their truth. Now, we've got to ask then, why are these influencers false in Jesus' eyes? And so Jesus goes on to explain, beware of these false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And so Jesus, the way he defines a false prophet is that they appear kind and good on the surface. And certainly all the pundits that we listen to, all the people with certain truths and opinions and advice that we listen to, uh, let's just give them all the benefit of the doubt that they have their best interest or our best interest in mind and they're just trying to help our lives. And so outwardly, they're good people. They're kind people. But what Jesus gets at, black and white, at the end of the day, these people, now, it might not truly be their heart's intent, but if we follow their advice, 
what happens is eventually, like a ravenous wolf, they take our life. So what we got to ask then is, what, what is death in Jesus' eyes? Death in Jesus' eyes isn't just physical death. Death in Jesus' eyes is not just someone who is malicious and trying to, you know, just uh, cheapskate you or, 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 or to, to trick you and rob you, but it could be someone who is genuinely good on the surface, a good person, but if we follow their lives, eventually it'll take our life. And that makes sense if we understand that there's a life beyond this life. There's a death beyond this physical death. There is such a thing called spiritual death. And make no mistake, spiritual death is not an annihilation of the soul. After we die, we don't just disappear, but we'll face judgment before God. And if there's not a righteousness that washes over our souls and protects us, then we'll face spiritual death, which is to be under the wrath of God and separated from his love for eternity. That is death in Jesus' eyes. And so how do we discern these false influencers? Jesus gives a a metaphor that is repeated often throughout Scripture, and it's basically judge a tree by its fruit. And he says no differently here. He says it twice, just pointing out in verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And so what fruit do we need to, to, the bad fruit do we need to recognize these false influencers by? And so Jesus begins to explain, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so here are people who are acknowledging Jesus as Lord, perhaps as a great moral teacher, perhaps as someone to be revered, and even Jesus, on one level, he's getting very specific, he's being very much in our faces, and he's basically saying, you might even think that you are a Christian, but you've missed the whole point. You might acknowledge me as a great man in history, but you miss the point of how to truly relate to me. And what we need to find ourselves calling out to Jesus by is not just Lord, Lord, but Savior, Savior. Lord, Lord is just recognizing Christ as a great person, someone to be revered. But Savior, Savior is recognizing Jesus as someone you desperately need to take your place and to save you from your uh, moral predicament, to take your sins upon his shoulders on the cross. Jesus explains it even more. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, and he qualifies it here, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So I want to give you a bit of an analogy, and here's a fascinating picture of a rocket's trajectory. And this is a rocket taking off, one of those, I guess, you know, just long lapse cameras and capturing all the glow. And, and, and what basically Jesus is saying, to use an analogy, is the way you'll identify these false influencers in your life is to extrapolate the trajectory of their life. Will their life and the way they live, will it be able to break through the heavens and find themselves before God in right standing, to break through the gates of heaven and to be found in favor before God? Or will the trajectory of their life flatten out and just end up on earth? To put it differently, Jesus says here, 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's how we're going to identify the true prophets, the true truth speakers and influencers in our life. If the trajectory of their life, because the will of the Father, Jesus makes it clear in the Gospel of John, and we see it in other places, that the most important element, the most important aspect of God's will for our lives is to acknowledge his son Jesus as our savior, as the one who takes our place for our sins. That is the centerpiece of God's will for us during this lifetime. And so we need to see the, 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 the trajectory of, of these influencers in our lives and the truth that they are speaking. If we extrapolate what they believe in, does it end up acknowledging Christ as Savior. And so we find them actually entering the kingdom of heaven. That's the trajectory. Now, we also need to ask then, as Jesus is identifying these faulty uh, foundations, or not ask, but look at false security. Jesus identifies a second faulty foundation for our lives and continuing on in verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we, notice we, very self-centered, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works? In the original language, that mighty works is just one letter or one word. And that word means one's inherent strength. Strength and power that come from yourself, or moral power, or influence. It literally means influence from riches and resources. And so here are people, even Jesus is warning those who would call themselves Christians, that we could call ourselves Christians, think we're Christians, but totally miss the point. And so here, Jesus is describing this picture of people who are coming with their own mighty works, their own moral performance, their own... Uh, influence and riches and resources and saying, we did all these things for you, Jesus. We did it. That's Jesus' point. Jesus is emphasizing the fact that there will be people who take credit for the good that they've done. Jesus is emphasizing the fact that people will find security in their own performance, their own good works. Did we not do this and do all these mighty works from our own strength? So Jesus is defining false security here because these are the people who think they're secure and then Jesus is going to reject them. And so what is false security in Jesus' eyes? It's basically our own self-righteousness, things that, that originate from within ourselves, our, our, our sense of righteousness from ourselves, defining our own happiness, self-happiness a sense of self-sufficiency that we can be autonomous and independent. We don't need anyone, and especially we don't need you, God. We can do it by our own willpower and strength. And certainly that naturally leads to a sense of self-help that we can actually make our lives and ourselves better. I like to put it like this. False security is pretty much just getting high on ourselves. False security is just smoking up on self-righteousness, self-happiness, self-sufficiency, self-help, and we're getting high on ourselves. So why? Why is self-centeredness a false security in Jesus' eyes? And he gives the answer here. He will declare to them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus is wrapping up his Sermon on the Mount, and he's ending with some exclamation points and really getting us to take seriously what he's saying. And that word lawlessness, lawlessness we've we got to understand, it doesn't just mean anarchy, because these were good people. These were moral people trying to do good. And so lawlessness, the English translation here isn't the best, and, and it basically more means an unrighteous standing. You workers of your trajectory ends up actually being an unrighteous standing before God. Isaiah says it best, a true prophet, a servant of God, and he says in his prophecy in the 64th chapter, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts. Isaiah is saying, pile up all the good that you've done in your life, and maybe it'll be so high, and you'll have a, a list of righteous acts that outshines every other human being in the world, but God declares through Isaiah, with authoritative truth, this is true truth, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, meaning standing before the judgment of God, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. None of us can be righteous enough. And so when Jesus says, you workers of lawlessness, there's another angle to this word that Jesus uses, and it means a condition of doing wrong, of being found on the, you know, just the guilty side of the law, out of ignorance. Have you ever done, you know, you thought you were doing right, but then you actually ended up doing wrong because you had the wrong information? This is a sad picture. It's so sad when you see someone who's sincere, but they're barking up the wrong tree. That They're trying to sincerely and earnestly do the right thing, but they just have the wrong information and they're on the wrong track. And so Jesus here, in his words, he's also somewhat sympathizing and feeling sorry, like wrong is wrong, even if you got there ignorantly, and, and he so much wants people to wake up from their ignorance. So I want you to see a bit of a flow here. So first, Jesus warns of a faulty foundation of uh, false prophets, false teachers, false uh, people giving advice that seems good, and they're speaking authoritatively, they're an influence in your life, but it's false nonetheless because of their ultimate trajectory. And these false influencers, they are just disseminating false truths. And if we take in these false truths and we think we're living on the right track, that God is going to count us right and we're doing good, doing well, but that's actually going to become a false security. It's going to lead to a false security. And really, ultimately, what that leads to then is a false religion. And this is the third faulty foundation that Jesus points out here, a false religion. Jesus, he's a master storyteller, and he, he used parables often to communicate his point, kind of like Aesop's fables. Uh, and here he tells a very poignant parable, and I'll just read it again. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it, it had been founded on the rock. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So let me recap. There are two homeowners, two home builders, and they're both building their dream home, two dream homes. And presumably they could even look the same. They're, they're two wonderful homes of equal value, and there are two foundations, but there's one judgment, one same experience of we could first apply this to all the stresses and challenges, the suffering and the pain of life, the same pandemic. Every human being is facing the same pandemic. But beyond that, we know that Jesus is ultimately speaking of, when he speaks of the rain and the winds that come, he's speaking of God's judgment. Ultimately, he's speaking of judgment. And so these two homeowners, these two dream homes, these two foundations, and one same judgment, And under the same judgment, only one house stands. Only one family in that home is warm, safe, and secure. And one house falls. This is the hard truth. And one family perishes under that crumbling home. Now Jesus, he explains the parable. And what he wants us to take away from this is that The game changer is the foundation. The game changer is the foundation. The foundation is the focal point. And Jesus wants us to understand that he, he himself, not even your decision to build your life on Christ, but he is the foundation. The home builders are you and I. The building that is being built is our life here on earth. And the elements are God's judgment. And so again, the foundation is the game changer and the focal point in this parable. Now true religion then, now let me pause here. Religion, let's, let's not give it the baggage that it has come with in history. Religion doesn't just mean religious fanatics and people who follow God, but every single human being on this earth has a religion. Even if you are an atheist, right? A means not. Theist means one who believes in God. So an atheist is someone who doesn't believe in God. Atheists have an a religion. They don't believe in God. But still, they have a religion in the sense, religion is basically a, a system of belief that you're willing to devote yourself to. That's what we mean. That's why we say at times, oh, I'm, I'm uh, taking my vitamins religiously. Right? You're devoting yourself to that. And so religion is basically a system of belief that you're devoting yourself to. And so you can be an atheist and devoting yourself to a system that, doesn't, that, that just eradicates God. But nevertheless, it is your religion. And so what Jesus is saying here, true religion, true religion is devoting yourself to Christ to overflowing Christ's work. The rock is Christ. It's not even our decision to believe in Christ. The rock itself is Christ, the person. And true religion is building our life upon Christ and overflowing Christ's work. As we 
are awakened to his great love, his beauty, his grace, and just having that overflow into the works in our lives. False religion, the sand that Jesus was referring to, that foundation is yourself. The foundation there, the sand there, is your own work. And false religion, Jesus is saying here, is just trying to build your life upon performing your own work. Now, the two common bonds, then, of every religion outside of Christianity is there are two. One, they reject Christ and his words. So you reject the rock, the foundation that is Christ. And by association, part and parcel with that, you're rejecting his words, that he is the only way, truth, and life. That you're rejecting, looking to him as Savior, Savior, not just Lord, Lord. And second, common bond between every other religion outside of Christianity, including atheism, uh, that your good works are not an overflow of God's work in Christ in you. That we're trying to wear as badges our own self-righteousness, our own self-happiness, our own self-sufficiency and self-help. But in the last day, in the torrent of God's judgment, it will spell ruin. So, let me ask, to all our viewers, to the few people that are here, what foundation are you building your life upon? What foundation are you building your life upon? Jesus, he wants us to understand, to use just the the metaphor and analogy of the times There's a virus worse than COVID-19. There's a a virus that is beyond physical. It's spiritual. It's called sin. And it needs to be cured. And there is a home safer than your own. There truly is a home safer than your own. Look, I've been seeing a flood of messages, even especially within Christian circles, uh, pastors sending out messages of peace and finding peace in Christ. And, and those are all good and well. Those are, we need to hear that. But Jesus didn't come just to bring peace to us on this life, during this life on this earth. Jesus came to give us peace beyond this life. He came to give us a preparedness. If you think about it, even just on strictly earthly terms, A lot of people panicked because they didn't feel prepared for the pandemic. They panicked and there was lack of peace if their pantries weren't stocked, if, you know, just looking at their bank accounts and their investments and so forth. If you didn't feel prepared, it led to a proportionate amount of uh, just anxiety and lack of peace. But the more prepared you felt, I'm pretty sure, just speaking strictly on earthly terms, you felt more peace. In a similar manner, what Jesus is saying is, I've come so that you can be prepared for eternity. And so we see Matthew wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, verse 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. If I could just sum up those two verses, basically they were asking, who is this man? 
Who is this man, this true prophet who's speaking this truth? And they're getting a sense that following Christ and his words, the trajectory of life will truly break through the heavens and through the gates of heaven. I love how John Stott puts it in his commentary. The Sermon on the Mount ends with the most emphatic assertion of the ultimacy of Jesus Christ. Consider this thought, so pertinent for what's going on right now in the world. Jesus Christ was socially distanced. With all the social distancing that were going on as the cure to this virus, Jesus Christ was socially distanced on the cross. He didn't even socially distance himself. No, the Father and humanity pushed him away as he bore all the, the spiritual virus in his own body. And he was socially distanced, spiritually distanced on the cross so we could come back to our truest home with the Father in the new creation. Imagine that. A new heavens and earth where all sickness, disease, sin and death will once and for all be eradicated. Imagine that. So I appreciate Margaret Wentz picking up on her op-ed piece. She said, already our vacation photos from last week look like scenes from another page or another age. They show us doing just what we'd always dreamed of, hiking in the mountains, enjoying time with friends. Everyone looks happy and carefree. Everyone is hugging each other. Nobody is paying attention to the news. When will we get that world back? Not anytime soon. Disease and the coming great recession will test us like no other challenge we have ever faced. We thought we were in control, secure in our lives, our futures reasonably predictable. Now all bets are off. When will we get that world back? I wish I could speak with Margaret right now. And, and whoever's listening and watching, I want you to know you'll get that world back when Jesus returns. You'll get that world back if you've placed your faith in him and you've built your life on him, you'll get that world back. So let me try to leave you something practical. Apparently, uh, loving friends at, at our church, they tell, Albert, can you add just a little bit more practical stuff sometimes? <laughs> just how we live this out? So here it is, this is my attempt, okay? Rock, just remember rock. R stands for relish Christ. That's building a life on Christ the rock. That's looking to him as the true influencer in your life, as the true security in your life. But it's not just about being loved and just this lovey-dovey Christianity. No, Jesus says, whoever hears and does what I say. And so, oh, obey Christ. See, check your affections. Jesus is calling us out on false security. So check your affections. Have I put too much love into my investments, my food, my family, and the, just life on this earth? And K, keep on keeping on by grace. Meaning persevere by grace, by faith, to the very end till Christ calls us home.
And so in the beautiful poetic words of Edward Mote, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, his oath, his covenant, his blood. Support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. And I didn't include it here, but the last verse saying, faultless to stand, faultless. If you build your life on Christ, it will be a faultless foundation. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Lord, help me to build my life upon Jesus Christ and His grace, period.